There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police the arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cop of murder. Our justice system is not foolproof. Mistakes are made almost every day, and you hope the people involved are willing to correct those mistakes by all means necessary. On August 31st, 1987, a man was arrested and dubbed a serial killer. But decades later, when the DNA said otherwise, the justice system seemed unwilling to correct the mistake. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Over the course of about a year, starting in 1986, the bodies of three Native American women in Minneapolis, Minnesota, were found nude, or almost nude, raped, bludgeoned to death, mutilated, and positioned in a way that made authorities sure they were all killed by the same person. The women were 19-year-old Kathy Bullman, 26-year-old Angeline Whitebird-Sweet, and 21-year-old Angela Green. And, as far as police could tell, all been lured away from crowded bars into a place of seclusion. Local law enforcement, according to the interviews, were determined to catch the man who was so brutally killing the women of their community, pulling out all the stops and even having male homicide detectives dress as women in order to lure him into custody. None of it seemed to work, but they continued to try and come up with new ways to solve the case as the media berated them for not being aggressive enough because the victims were Native American. Now, as police were working, or not, depending on who you asked, to try and find the suspect, a man who, with the third victim, came the classification of serial killer, a woman came forward and gave police the name of a man whom she thought was a viable suspect. Billy Richard Glaze, born July 13, 1943, and known by many as Jesse Sitting Crow. A waitress steered them in the direction of New Mexico, and Billy was arrested on August 31st, 1987, while driving under the influence, a violation of his parole for a 1974 rape committed in Texas. When the arresting officers looked in his car, they found a bloody shirt, a crowbar, and a nightstick. Convicted of killing all three Minneapolis women and suspected of at least 50 others in multiple states, the transient with prior rape convictions was brought to trial where several witnesses testified to seeing him with the women prior to their murders, with some even placing him at or around the crime scenes and others claiming to hear him make violent sexual remarks about Native American women. A woman who lived with Billy for a bit handed over a pearl ring that he had gifted her that bore a striking similarity to the one that Angela Green wore. And, perhaps the final nail in his coffin, a fellow inmate testified that Billy wrote a note claiming responsibility, saying he had, quote, killed them. All of it was more than enough for a jury to convict Billy of both first and second degree murder and sentence him to three life sentences with the possibility of parole in 52 years. At his sentencing and throughout the trial, Billy Glaze swore he was an innocent man. Once securely placed behind bars for the rest of his life, the community, specifically Native American women, felt safer after Billy's conviction, and the local police went to bed that night patting their backs for a job well done. They had no idea that years later, 
science, and forensics would advance enough for their entire case to be called into question. Over the years, Billy Glaze had given conflicting interviews about his crimes, claiming in 1996, quote, they framed me because I ain't the serial killer. But in 2004, claimed to have upwards of 20 other victims that police had not even located yet. In May of 2008, the Minneapolis police were hoping to use the DNA to try and tie Billy, who was still in prison at this point, to the murder of a woman named Sharon Ann Lingor, who died in September of 1986. Her death, which was very similar to those of Kathleen, Angeline, and Angela, came after she left a local bar that Billy was known to frequent. Her body found lying across the train tracks near 29th Street and Columbus Avenue South. She had been stabbed repeatedly and sexually assaulted. According to their search warrant, the Minneapolis police wanted to cross-check his DNA, something that wasn't readily available at the time of the other three murders, with that found on Sharon's body. But in 2009, testing conducted by the Innocence Project found that semen from one of his victims' rape kit didn't match Billy Glaze at all, but another Minnesota convicted rapist. With a level of reasonable doubt, further testing was done in 2014 on a cigarette butt found near the body of Billy's second victim. Not only did it not match Billy's DNA, but it matched the same man who came up in the 2009 results. In fact, dozens of pieces of evidence was tested, none of which came back to Billy Glaze, a man who prior to the advances in DNA, seemed like the perfect suspect. So given what they now knew, filed a motion for a new trial based on the DNA testing and questions about the reliability of some of the original witnesses in his trial, one of which had recanted by this point and another claimed to be the witness in more than 60 other murders. In response, the Minneapolis Police Department and the Hennepin County Attorney's Office started a reinvestigation into the case. According to his lawyers, the case was riddled with circumstantial evidence and false statements, and that Billy's confessions to the media were simply a ploy to be moved to a prison in California. So it seemed likely that the case would fly through the judicial system and a trial would be granted sooner rather than later. That petition is still open. On December 22, 2015, Shortly after a cancer diagnosis, Billy Richard Glaze died at the age of 72. He had spent more than 25 years in prison and never got to see his case brought back to trial. The Hennepin County District Court judge ruled that when Billy died, so did his appeal, stating, quote, nothing in the record supports a finding that petitioner was actually innocent or that his conviction was wrongful. But both the Innocence Project and Billy's attorneys keep the case alive, filing additional briefs along the way. They claim that not only is his reputation at stake, but so is the public's interest in learning whether the justice system is fair and just. There is also the matter of the man whom DNA did link to the case, who, as far as I could find, has not been arrested for the crimes. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to A Terrible Thing Happened on September 1st. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.